Are those guys crazy? You have to be crazy to go to Baltimore. Did you all know that? I mean, uh, look, I'm from Orlando, Florida. That's where I grew up, and that's where I pastored, and that's where I cut my teeth in ministry. And uh, God, in his infinite wisdom, decided to send me to West Virginia uh, 29 years ago uh, to plant a church in a town where there was no Southern Baptist church, in a town where there was no evangelical witness, in a town I didn't want to go to because they have winter in West Virginia. How many of you know that? And, uh, you know, we used to eat our turkey on our uh, sunroom. Uh, Florida room, we called them down there, and uh, and we'd be sweating like uh, hogs, you know, and they'd be freezing to death in West Virginia. So 29 years, and yet that little church that was started by three of us uh, grew to become the largest church in the Mid-Atlantic, planted nine churches out of that, and uh, after all that happened, North American Mission Board came calling and said, we want you to go to Baltimore. And I thought they were going to say, go home to Orlando. No. How many of you know that God's plan isn't always your plan? Do you all know that? I mean, look, you're the most spiritual people in this church. You came to the first service. The second service are pagans. They slept in until 1030 and, you know, throw on their pajamas and come. But you, the spiritual group, know that God's plan isn't always your plan. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Ruth. And I want to do a uh, message this morning for you called Surely, Surely. Because I believe that there are some of you here today that God is calling to do much more with your life than you're doing right now. Now, some of you may be seven years old. Some of you may be 77. I preached in a church last week that I was the youngest member there. And I challenged those people that range from 72 to 94 to be on mission with God in Baltimore. And 24 of them came after the service and said, we want to go to Baltimore and help you do something great for God. Senior adults... That you think that their life is over, what can they do? They can't even do nursery anymore because they've slapped 3,000, you know, babies' butts over their time. They've done their duty, and yet they're coming to Baltimore to share the gospel. And I believe that uh, this individual that many of you know in the book of Ruth, Naomi, leading into this person called Ruth, epitomizes what a lot of us go through as God gets ready to use us. And so let's look at this in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. In those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now stop right there. How many of you know about famines? You've been through a child that didn't turn out the way you thought they would spiritually. You've been through a divorce that you didn't want. You went through a job transfer that you didn't expect. Or maybe a health report that you thought would never come. How many of you know something of famine? You've been through some rough times, rough spots, rough edges. And and, and you've been through those times where it just seemed like God was totally absent from your life. Now, maybe you're more spiritual than that. I don't know. But I can tell you, I've been through that. And Baltimore is much like that. It's, it's a city, as you saw in the video just a moment ago, that is number one in heroin addiction. We have more heroin addicts, 70,000, than we do evangelical Christians in the city of Baltimore. If you filled up Raven Stadium today with all the evangelical Christians, it would not fill the stadium. But it would fill up if you put all the heroin addicts in it. We, the Ouija board was developed and, and invented in Baltimore, which gives you an idea of its, of its heritage. This is a city that, that is the top ten every year in murders. We just had our 305th murder in Baltimore last week. A little four-year-old girl shot in a drive-by shooting. They were trying to get her dad, shot her through the head, killed her instantly, right in the street in front of her grandparents. That's everyday life in Baltimore. 
Baltimore has been going through a famine. Some of you remember seeing on CNN back in April the spring riots that took place. I was pulling up to Atlanta, Georgia, North American Mission Board headquarters, and my wife called and said, you better turn on the TV because something's happening in your city. And I turned on the CNN, and there was my city burning and riots and looting going on and the Nation of Islam marching. And, and I was looking for my planters. Where are they? Because I'm like a mother hen when it comes to these young guys that are planting churches. I want to know, how are they doing? And in just a period of just a few days, our city turned from this, this normally... A violent but quiet city in some ways to a city that had been turned upside down. Baltimore knows what famines are like. They've been through those before. In the 68 riots when Martin Luther King was assassinated, a third of the city left. 400,000 people left the city and devastated economically and educationally and spiritually. So we know what famines are like. So, so Naomi is going through a, a, through a famine. And the Bible says, look down in verse, uh, in verse 3. Or actually, verse 2, the man's name, talking about her husband, was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrodites from... Have you ever noticed the Bible has an ite for everything? Here an ite, there an ite, everywhere an ite, ite. I can't pronounce half of them, so if I butcher it and you're a theologian, just forgive me. But they were Ephraimites, and they were from Bethlehem, which means house of bread in Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now notice what happens. There's, there's famine in the land... But now there's going to be devastation in the land they've gone to. The Bible says now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Now that was a bad thing because if your husband died, you had no income. Women weren't allowed to work. They weren't allowed to own businesses. They couldn't own land. And so if you lost your husband, if you were a widow, it was one of the poorest things that could happen to you in your life was to lose the breadwinner from the family. But yet God was seemingly not done and there were still things that were about to happen and not only did her husband die but look in verse 4 so her husband her two sons married Moabite women one named Oprah and the other Ruth and they lived there about 10 years and then both of them died I mean how many of you been through some times in your life where it went from bad to bad to bad to bad to really bad I mean, you, you begin to pray and they were bouncing off the ceiling. You cried out to God. It was like he was absent. He was helping somebody else. You've been through those times. You know what it's like to lose someone, to lose something, to lose life and not know what to do. And, and here's Naomi. She's not only lost her husband, but her two sons. Everything is gone. Guys, I don't know about you. But on those kind of days, I'm not always the spiritual man that you think I may be. I have doubts and fears and worries. I begin to scream out to God, and and I'm like David. God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? Don't you know? Have you put me somewhere and forgot where you put me? It's just days like that. And you may be going through one of those kind of seasons in your life where it seems like that, that you're praying and you're doing the right thing and you come to church and you give your money and you serve in the community, and, and yet nothing is happening vibrant spiritually in your life. And that was Naomi. Well, skip down to verse, uh, to verse 19 with me because it, it gets real crazy. Uh, she finds out that back in Bethlehem the famine is over and they've got bread again. And, and she goes back into the town and look at verse 19, same chapter. So the two women talking about now Ruth who has decided to go with her. They came to Bethlehem, and when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Her name means pleasant. Can this be Miss Pleasant? And notice what she says in verse 20. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. 
Now guys, I want to tell you something I've discovered in 58 years of being on this earth. And that may not mean much to you, but I've learned about two or three things in those 58 years. And one of those things that I've learned is that, is that God is always working even when I can't determine his will. Do you know what I'm talking about? That God is always moving in my life even when I can't see his moves. That God is always loving me even when I feel abandoned. That God is always performing some kind of, of, of miraculous event in my life that may be in development stage even when I've given up on crying out to him any longer. I mean, that's Naomi. Miss Pleasant becomes Miss, Miss Bitter. You, you've met people like that, that that just look like they were baptized in, in vinegar. You know, have you met people like that? Don't look at the person next to you. Look this way. I don't want to get you into trouble. I mean, you've done that, haven't you? To some people that life is always bad, it's always wrong, horrible things are happening, and they want to describe, they catch you after church, and, and you go, oh God, there they come, and you dash into the women's room, right? And you're a man. You're just trying to escape. I mean, all she can dwell upon, all she can think about is the problem in her life right there before her. Her husband is gone, her sons are gone, and all she has left is this foreign-born Moabite who refollows her everywhere, who's come back with her into Bethlehem. Nothing is right, nothing is good, nothing is ever going to get any better. Naomi's whole perspective was on her problem, and she didn't realize that God often uses a problem as a pivot point to our promotion. Now hang on on that one for just a moment, okay? Because look what Ruth does. Remember, she's a Moabite. She's in a foreign land. Nobody likes her. Nobody's going to talk to her. She's lost her husband too. She has nothing to live for. But while, while Naomi is whining, she went up. While Naomi is preoccupied with her problem, Ruth is trying to find a solution to that problem. While, while Naomi is, is giving up, she, she gets up. And, and look in chapter 2 of verse 1 what happens. The Bible says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech. We remember him, don't you? He died, right? But there's somebody that is his relative, and he's a man of standing. His name is Boaz. Now, some of you that have read the rest of the story, don't give it away to the people that are around you that haven't read the story, okay? Because you remember that name, Boaz. Boaz. And, and so Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go up to the fields and pick the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. Now, this was back-breaking, sun-drenched, hot, sweaty work in the corners of the field where the poor and the struggling, the nobodies worked. The harvesters were required by Mosaic law to, as they were picking up the sheaves of grain, to pull some of them out and leave them for the poor. And the poor would come behind them and pick up those sheaves of grain just enough to get through another meal for another day. And that's what Ruth is doing. Remember, she has nothing. She is nobody. She, she doesn't even have God in her life at this point. But notice that while she, while, while she is living with a woman that is bitter, Ruth sees something beyond the bitterness to the blessing that is yet to come. This woman that is a pagan has more faith than the person that does not have faith. And I want you to see what happens because I love this. In fact, if it's your Bible, just, just underline it in big, bold, yellow light it, whatever. Because at the middle part of this next verse, verse 3, the Bible says, As it turned out. How many of you know those are good words, right? As it turned out. When nobody expected anything happened, happening, as it turned out. See, while you're laboring, God is always looking. Do you all know that? Come on, I know you're the 9 o'clock crowd and, you know, I know it's hard to get up. But, but do you know that while you're laboring, God is looking? 
God's eye is always turned towards you. God's love is always uh, overcoming you. God's law is always true in your life. I'm here to tell you, folks, I've discovered this from 58 years of living, that while I'm laboring, God is looking. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to who? Yeah, come on. Boaz. Boaz. Who is Boaz? He's the relative of Elimelech. Who is Boaz? He's a rich man. How many of you single women know that the best thing you can find is a rich man who's godly? I know you're looking at me going, there isn't any left. (laughs) Ruth must have felt that way. Who's going to marry her? She's a foreigner. She doesn't even follow the God of Abraham. She's, she's She's a sweaty Woman out behind the poor people. She has no status. How, how would a man like Boaz ever pay attention to her? But notice, folks. What, 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 oh, you got to get this. She is laboring in the field of her blessing even when she can't see it. She's doing. She got up every day and she did what she could with what she had where she was. Write that down because I need to remember that for the next service, all right? Every day she gets up. And uses what she has. Where she is with who she's with. That's, that's Ruth. There's some kind of faith we're seeing there. So as it turned out, she's working in the field. Now watch the rest of the story. i got to hurry on. Verse 4. And just then, underline that too because that's another good one. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. You know, you have, you've seen how they do this in the movies. And Boaz, verse 5, watch this. Looks out. And he says, whose woman is that i like that whose woman is that when i met my wife pat uh about 40 years ago i guess it's been now we've married 36 years we did four years if you do the math it comes out right i saw her walking across the campus the first day of school at carson newman college i went there not knowing anybody met two buddies we became instant friends and we're sitting up on the hill if you've ever been to Carson Newman, there's a big hill there. The cafeteria is down below. And the guys would all gather up and, um, and, 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 and watch the girls go by. Come on, I know it's not politically correct, but it was the 70s. And, and we'd rate them. They don't look too spiritual, guys. I know some of you with gray hair remember these days. And, and I looked at Pat, and she was a 10. Now I was at best of five, but she was a 10. And I looked at my buddy Daryl and I said, I'm going to take her out tonight. And he goes, she'll never go out with you. I said, do you want to bet? And we only had like two bucks between us. Again, I know that's not real spiritual, but I've only been saved two weeks. You've got to understand that, okay? I didn't know gambling was part of the, you know, the no-no list. And so I went up to her and I said, I've got to go to this religious banquet tonight, which was true. And I need a date, which was not true. Again, I've only been saved two weeks. I didn't know you couldn't lie either. And she said yes. And guys, I want to tell you something. She kept saying yes. Because we kept dating. And four years later, we got married. She said a big yes. <laughs> she, she didn't know me, but I was looking. Ruth is out there working every day doing what she could with what she had, where she was, with who she was with every day. Not knowing that God was working in spite of the fact that she thought all was lost. She got up every day and by faith she did what she could with what she had, where she was, with who she was with. And Boaz was looking. Single girls, there is hope for you. I don't care if you're 84. My mama just turned 84 and she's still looking. 
My dad died about 17 years ago. She's still an attractive woman. She's looking for that rich, godly man. I told her, Mom, you're 84. Give up. She said, Honey, <laughs> you don't understand how God wired me. I said, Mom, I don't want to know. <laughs> That's a conversation for after you're dead, you know. Now watch this. I want you to see the rest of this story. Because, and this is a spoil word, so if you don't, if you don't, if you don't understand it, just, just, just go to chapter 4 of me because I want you to see something before we close out. Because <sighs> there's something big about to happen here. Boaz looks out. Whose woman is that? Now she's some woman that is a Moabite that came over with Naomi. We don't know much about her. Go get her. Bring her to me. Just like God, isn't it? He looks out at your mess. He looks out at a Joel Kurtz who's from my home state of Florida. And he was a youth pastor there on the East Coast. And, and God called him to Baltimore about five years ago. He's a, he's a very white guy. Even though he's from Florida, he's very white. He's originally from Wisconsin, I think. He looks almost albino. And, and Joel Kurtz was called to Baltimore to, to go live in McElroy Park, which is the murder capital of Baltimore, is McElroy Park. And um, he's the only white guy in an all-black neighborhood. He's being picked up twice by the Baltimore City Police at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night on Saturday night as he's going door-to-door to to, uh, invite people to church the next day. He's been picked up twice by the cops because why would a white guy be in an all-black neighborhood at 9 o'clock at night on Saturday night, right? And and he's usually, the reasoning, you know, I'm I'm a pastor. I'm just here. And they go, we've heard a lot of excuses, buddy, but that's a new one on us. (laughs) What prompts a white guy to move into an all-black neighborhood that's the Murder capital, center bullseye of Baltimore with two young daughters. What prompts a guy to do that? That doesn't make sense. It's insanity. But how many of you know that God will not only move in you while you're going through a famine in your life, but he'll also disturb you in the comfort times of your life? He'll get under your skin. He'll, 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 he'll prompt you to do something. He'll, he'll get you to perform an act that you thought you could not do. He'll get you to talk to someone that you've avoided. He'll move in your heart to, to share your faith with someone that you think would never listen. Because God is a God that's always moving even when you can't see it. God is working. God is looking. And God is inviting you like Boaz, bring that woman to me. God is inviting you to come to him and join him in this incredible adventure of journey of faith. I mean, the most exciting thing in the world, folks, is to live a journey of faith where every day you get up and you go, what next, God? Come on, let's go. If your faith isn't like that, I'd get a new faith. (laughs) I'd trade yours in. Because I'm going to give you the end of the story, how God works. And this doesn't come all at once. It doesn't come overnight. Sometimes there are decades in between. But look at chapter 4 because here's the end of the story. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Oh, yes. I love a good story, don't you? This would be a, what is that, a Hallmark station that shows all those uh, holiday Christmas movies. My wife made me look at three of them the other day. I still haven't recovered. I mean, they're just so sugarly sweet, you know. I mean, they're good, you know, but... And she just cries and cries, and I'm looking at my watch how much longer. And she goes, watch one more with me. What? You know, there's football on, honey. But I did, because I'm a good husband some days. And um, so Boaz takes Ruth. Now, do you see this? 
the woman that was working in the corners of the field every day, having no status, now becomes co-owner of the fields she once worked in. Your problem is your pivot point for your promotion. Write that down. That's good stuff, okay? Now, now watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer, may become famous throughout all Israel. He'll renew your life, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. You know, you get the point. Okay, I mean, all this, you know, rah, 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 rah. And so verse 16, Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. Watch this now. And the woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. That doesn't mean anything to you. And he was the father of Jesse, that doesn't mean much to you, who is the father of, get this, David. You know him, don't you? David. Yeah, David. A Moabite woman is used by God to bring the future greatest king that Israel has ever known into existence. Now, did Ruth know that the day she decided to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem? Say no. Say no. All right, you say yes, we've got to preach the sermon all over again, all right? <laughs> Did Naomi realize that? When she, when she agreed to let Ruth marry Boaz? No? Oh, gosh, this is going to be a long day. Did, Did Ruth know when she's working, backbreaking work in the corners of the field, trying to get enough to eat for one more day, know that one day she is going to be standing there watching other people work in her fields? No, good. Okay, now we can wrap up. Okay, good. You got it. No! Do you know what God is going to do in the midst of your difficulty, your depression, your discouragement, your loss of death? Do you realize at that moment what God is about to do through that problem you're going through? No! But how many of you know that in every problem you go through, God is using it as a pivot point for your future promotion? The one that worked in the field is now owning the field. And watch this. She gives birth to what is going to become the precursor to the greatest king that ever lived by the name of David. Now here's my question before we close. What if Ruth had not followed that bitter old Naomi back to Bethlehem? What if she had not gone to work in the fields of Boaz that day when he just happened to show up what if she had said i'm going to stay in my home country of moab naomi you go ahead and go back home i'm going to start a new life here she would have never become the mother that led to the greatest king israel had ever known here's my question what if you give up before you get your blessing see the easiest thing to do in life is to give up amen to quit to walk away to stop To say, that's it. I give up. I can't take this anymore. I can't do this any longer. I say that every Monday when I get up. I say, I can't do this anymore, God. And I remember my blessing is just around the corner. Now now watch how this all works. We've got two more minutes. I just want to show you one more thing. Look in Psalm 23. One more verse. And then we're going to wrap up. Oh, this is good. Get ready. Get ready. It's good stuff. Because what does her descendant write one day? He writes the greatest psalm that most people consider the greatest psalm in the book of Psalms. You remember it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You, you remember all that. It makes me lie down green pastures, even though he leads me through the valley of shadow of death. You know all that. But the, here's the big verse. Here's the big verse. You know all that stuff. But what you don't realize, sometimes you get to the end of the passage, 
and you just don't get this last verse. And I want to read it for you because I think this will help you understand what God is trying to do in your life right now. How, how he may be stirring you up for something missional in your own existence right now. I don't care how old or how young you are. How God may be speaking to you about Baltimore or another city or another place to become engaged with it missionally and relationally and prayerfully. How, how God may be speaking to you to walk across the street to a neighbor and start there and watch how he uses you. And I know that all the doubts and fears and worries are going through your head right now. So let me give you a verse to hold on to as God preps your heart for what he wants you to do. Here it is, verse 6. Surely, say surely. Surely, say it again. Surely, say it again with enthusiasm. Say it like a Pentecostal rather than a Baptist. Yeah, well, if you would have stood up, raised your hands and danced up and down, you would have been Pentecostal. Okay. Surely. Let me tell you what that means. Surely. One word, surely. See, I can't see it now, but surely. I went to my doctor and got a bad report, but surely. I just got a pink slip at work, but surely. The repo man just came and picked up my pickup truck, but surely. I I just got kicked out of college, but surely. I I just went through a a, a relationship that I counted on, and they walked out of my life, but but surely. I'm a a single mom, and I thought I'd be married forever, but surely. I, I can't figure out what God is doing. I hurt so much, and the pain is so big and great, but surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Surely, goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy are God's wonder twins. Do you understand that? See, every time I look behind me, I got, I got, I got goodness and mercy walking behind me, and, and I look ahead and I see surely lead me on. Because no matter what I go through, what I've been through, what's happening in my life, no matter how hard it seems, no matter I look at Baltimore and go, how could God ever use me in a city like that that is so screwed up? And God looks at you and says, I've declared to you today, surely. So you need to stand up, stand up with me right now. You need to stand up and look at your devil and say to him, surely. You need to look at your giant like David did one day when he was facing Goliath and declare to him, surely. You need to look at your enemy that drives you crazy at work and sing to him, surely. You need to look at your kids that you've been praying for for years to come back to God and declare over them, surely. You need to take that prayer request that you've taken to God a thousand times and he's not responded and declare once again, surely. So what surely mean? It means this. It means I will go up. I will get through. I will walk in. I will walk out. I will not give up. I'll push through. I'll go forward. I'll not stop. I'll not delay. I'll not hesitate. I'll get up every day and declare that God be my surely as goodness and mercy follows me. I will take on whatever God puts in front of me because surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life amen so here's my challenge as your eyes are closed and as jamie comes to the front here's my challenge here's my challenge stop making excuses Stop looking at what only you can do. Stop putting off what you know God wants you to do. For some of you today, God's speaking to you to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And every Sunday this invitation is given, you hold back because you say maybe next Sunday. Well, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you need to come. 
friend, like I did when I was 18 years old. And I walked down the aisle of a little Baptist church in Orlando, Florida. And I said, today, God, today I want to follow you. I don't know what all that means. I can't understand it all, but I just know that you say that if I turn to you, you'll save me. You'll forgive me my sins. You'll redeem me. You'll, you'll change me. You'll transform my life. You'll give me eternal life. If you're in this building today and you need that, oh, friend, man, don't delay. Come when the music starts in just a moment and take Jamie or others by the hand and just say, today I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. For those of you that do know Jesus, some of you are going through such hard times that I can't even imagine or discern. And I want to say to you with all the love in my heart, God's looking and he sees and he understands. But maybe you've allowed discouragement and despair to take over your thoughts and today you just need to come as a follower of Christ and declare as bad as it is there's a surely in my struggle and I invite you to come in just a moment take these guys by the hand and just say would you just pray for me because I want to declare over my struggle God's surely and finally there may be some of you here today that in all honesty you know God's stirring you up for something more Maybe you need to come to Baltimore or one of our other sin cities or one of the other places where God is, God is going to take you that you may not even know about yet. And You may be a teenager, you may be a child, you may be a senior adult or somewhere in between, but, but you know that there's more you can do than what you're doing right now for God. Maybe you'd come in just a moment when the invitation starts. Take these guys by the hand and just say, I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything. No matter what, I'll use what I have, where I am, with who I'm with. And if God's speaking to your heart right now, man, you come. You come.